0: Well, I know I, it, the word is out, um, and I don't know quite what it means other than I am a grandpa. I thought about trying to, um, yeah, I did so much um, to accomplish this task other than getting my daughter to, to this point and not having taken her out a few times early on in her, in her life. Uh, I thought about, and we tried, my wife's just shaking my head, (laughs) shaking her head. I I thought about getting one of those long portfolio uh, photo things, but they don't make those anymore, apparently, so I have phones, and I can, I I can throw them. Kim Kim will show you pictures as well. Uh, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew 5, as we continue in our journey through Matthew. And... And I don't know about you, and maybe you can remember this um, as well as I do, where when you were a kid, you just couldn't wait until. I mean, when, when, you're, when you're four and, and you're coming in, you can't wait to be five so much so that you're not four, you're four and a half. That when you're five, it's when you're going to get into school, and you start school, and you're ready to go. And, and when you go from there, it's, it's all about getting to junior high, or high school, and driver's license, and first job, and college, and, 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 and. And we remember these things. I mean, they were mile markers in our lives. I mean, they're important things. But it doesn't take long as well for us to realize that we get there and what we thought was going to be this life liberating moment, in fact, turns into a moment where, wait a minute, yeah, I'm, I've, I've arrived at this mile marker, but there's more. That there is a, a call to maturity, a call to uh, increased responsibility, that we didn't quite expect. As followers of Jesus, we can easily get caught up in these same kind of things, this the same kind of thinking, often more than we realize. We, we get swept away in the notion that once we've reached this plateau, we have arrived and we can kind of coast. I mean, we can rest because, wow. Wow. I'm, a, I'm there where God is, and, and God's going to bless me now because I've gotten to this point, and, and all these different things are going to happen, and God's going to encourage me, and now all I have to do is kind of put it on cruise control and let God take, you know, Jesus take the wheel. And I don't have to do anything more until Jesus comes. And yet, then we open the scriptures and we find out that there's always more being called to. That Jesus calls us to a deeper and deeper and more mature faith. To an understanding that we have, 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 may have gotten to this point, but there's more to go on this side of heaven. That there's more responsibility in the kingdom of God that we are called to participate in. And so this morning as we look and we enter into Matthew 5. We encounter Jesus beginning what we always refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's, it's a gorgeous setting. I've been where they, they, they traditionally say it, it likely happened. Um, I mean the, the Sea of Galilee is right there. This beautiful grass slope. Um, the building wasn't there in Jesus' day, but that, that's a side point. And, and he's gathered his people. I mean, there are people that have come from all around that have heard about Jesus and what he's done and who he is. And, and the word's kind of getting out. But Jesus especially has gathered his primary disciples that he has called. And he's talking to them. People that have left their their trades left their life to follow Jesus to to walk in the, the footsteps of their rabbi and he's he's getting there and, and he's got them and he starts talking and he shares what we call the Beatitudes. They're encouraging words that speak of blessing and, and we've had debates with some of the youth, is it blessed or is it blessed? I, we, we read it in different ways, but that's beside the point. But the thing is that these blessings are, are, are listed for people that aren't used to being called or associated with having been blessed. They're going through hard times. They're, they're struggling And Jesus isn't saying, no, you can just wipe away what you're going through in your emotions and and your status of that, and and you just put on a happy face. No, he's saying in the midst of these things, in these difficult times, you are blessed because God is with you. And that in the midst of that, that in the midst of this upside-down kingdom of God, the blessed ones are the world are what actually the world usually considers despised. And he starts to list them: the poor in spirit, the meek, those who mourn. And, and so as Jesus shares these, these things, he's reminding, and he's starting to point out to his disciples. That yeah, your life may not be exactly where you hoped or thought it would be, but you're still blessed. That in the midst of that, understand, and and I probably should really point out something that really kind of... It was pointed out to me that we've kind of done a disservice in, in many of our translations because we put a big block here, and we, start list, we put headings, and, and we list them as separate. So we get through verse 12 with all the Beatitudes. And in verse 13, we kind of take a pause, and we set it aside. But in reality, that this was all one continuous conversation, and Jesus is saying, yeah, all these things, all these, these situations of mourning and meekness and grief and hunger and thirst and all this stuff, it goes together that you are blessed. And as you are blessed, you need to understand that you are this. That as a result of your blessings in the kingdom of God, you are called to more. You don't get to just rest. That we have a charge before us to exhibit the saltiness of God's kingdom and to let God's light shine through us. The evidence that we actually understand ourselves to be blessed of God is how preserving our life is to others. How bright our light shines, even in the dark moments. Even when we mourn, when we're made fun of, we're ridiculed, we're persecuted, when we're longing and hungering and thirsting for more in this life, our life is supposed to point to a difference that others can see. That Jesus doesn't let anyone off the hook. Because it's especially in these moments that that we're going through difficult things. Not, again, not that we just kind of put on a bright face and kind of skip, but that we understand that our lives are fully on display and people are watching. So Jesus' challenge in in verses 13-13, through 20 especially focusing on 13 through 16 here is, is what comes down to one word influence because when the church actually lives out the beatitudes we will be salt and light for the world Amen. that we will have an influence in the world and if you read the gospels you realize, it doesn't take long to realize that Jesus loves a good metaphor. And this one's especially powerful and simple and straightforward. That the influence of our lives is directly related to the disposition and character of our lives. Because the message and the challenge of the gospel should significantly impact and influence our lives it's it's not enough for us just to know about God it's not enough for us to just show up when it's convenient in our schedule to with the community of believers it's not enough just to know the stories that we hear in Sunday school those are all good things But as disciples, as followers of Christ, as those who have put their lives in Christ's hands, have offered it to him in understanding and belief that Christ is the one that died for our sins. We're called to live out our identity as salt and light for the world. Now, the people that were listening, these disciples, when Jesus says that you are to be the salt and you are to be the light, they know what that is. They know that the, they don't have electricity, they don't have refrigeration. We take these things for granted. They know that These are both indispensable commodities in the home. They are price, they are very valuable. You can't go without them. And so what does that mean, though? I mean, yeah, we can understand they're indispensable, but what, what about them? What does it really look like to be salty? We've kind of changed that, you know, that term of sorts, but... So, so to start, it's good for us to understand what salt was used for in Jesus' time when he refers to this. And we can list all these different things the way we use it, but the reality is that, the, that in the midst of all the different functions that we understand from salt, the primary, the key, the number one thing for salt is to prevent decay. Being used as a, as a food preservative is its most basic function. Been used for generations upon generations. We like to think of salt primarily as spice that gives flavor. We, we, we add a little here and a little there. But in Jesus' day, when there's no refrigeration and you need to preserve meat it's not likely that many Jews thought, well, we'll just add a little spice to spice up life, to give it a zing. They would use so much salt because they were trying to preserve what was valuable that they couldn't avoid the flavor of salt. You didn't need to add any. We as Christians are not called to spice up the life around us. But what Jesus is saying that we as believers, and I want you to get this, both individually but especially corporately, communally, that we as the church are called to actively live out our faith and, and so much so that we become a preservative to the world around us against the natural decay of sin. That by consistently and actively living out our faith, we provide a sanctifying influence. That that the world would not. You know, and they don't want to always hear what we have to say. But they can't not be affected by it when we live it out. So Jesus warns us don't lose your saltiness. And we think, well, I've never had salt go bad. I mean, we, we look at the properties and we understand it's a really stable chemical. It's, it's nearly resistant to nearly every kind of attack, but the thing is it can be contaminated by overwhelming it with mixtures of impurities to the point that it loses its effectiveness. If you don't use enough salt, things will decay. And so it becomes dangerous. Likewise for the church. If we're going to be effective, we have to maintain our Christ-likeness. We have to put everything in, in, in place of, at the foot of the cross. Because if we become so assimilated in in trying to be like the world to try and attract the world that we lose our distinctiveness of the cross. We've lost our influential difference. Our influence in society depends on our Christ-like distinctiveness from the way the world lives in opposition to it. Not competing with it, trying to be like it. Jesus is making a Joshua kind of statement here. I, I can't get away from it. He, he's making this declaration because Joshua, they had just gone in and were about to start setting up into the promised land. And here's this, this leader of the people of Israel. And he stands before them and says, now, and this is in chapter 24 of Joshua, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the God's Your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and served the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable for you, then choose yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers that you served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, We will serve the Lord. I can't force you to do it. But I'm going to tell you what I can do. And what I'm going to do. I'm going to serve the Lord. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to be salt, you have to make that stand. One pastor declared it like this, the the glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. It is then that the world is made to listen to her message, though it may hate it at first. If our life is not righteously different, we have no credibility. And the less... Salty that we are means less preservation for the rotting culture around us. We're called to be the salt of the earth, not the honey of the earth. Salt bites. Salt hits you hard. The pure message of the judgment and grace of God always has a bite to it. Some may ask, well, what do I need to do to be salt? And I'm not going to start listing out a bunch of rules. That was what the Pharisees and the scribes did that Jesus ended up competing against. But here's the simple truth if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, if you're always seeking the cross, if you're adhering your life to the gospel message, you don't have to work at being salt. You are salt. But we're also called to be light. When the church lives out the Beatitudes, we are light. The function of light is that it illuminates what the darkness hides. Jesus is making the same point twice. He's emphasizing the the whole thing. Salt of the earth and light of the world are saying the same thing, just with slightly different emphasis. When Jesus speaks of salt, he's saying the world is decaying around us because it's lost sight of of where God has created it to be, that God declared it good, sin enters in, everything kind of goes south from there. But when Jesus speaks of light, he's saying the world is dark. You walk around in the dark long enough, you're going to stub your toe. Jesus is the light of the world. We are not. We are called to reflect the light. But that can only happen as long as we live and reflect God's holiness. Not our own personal holiness. It's not about you. But, but when, when we live into God's holiness. When we shine in this dark world, we expose the dangers that the darkness seeks to hide. Jesus isn't calling us to retreat from society. He's not calling us to, to run away and, and build, build walls around us where we kind of segregate ourselves. He's telling us to let our shine our light shine in the midst of the dark places that means that wherever you go shine let your light shine as a parent let your light shine as a spouse let your light shine as a grandparent Let your light shine in school. Let your light shine at work. Wherever you go, let your light shine. Don't withdraw. Use every moment of every day to expose the world around them to the light of Jesus Christ. Light is worthless if it doesn't shine. Sad to think about how many Christians are Christians by name only. They talk a lot about and, and want to criticize other Christians for being just, well, you're just too rigid. We live by the grace of God. Well, we all live by the grace of God. But if our lives become so worldly that we have no influence then are we really living by God's standards? In Jesus' words, they're like tasteless salt or hidden light, which is good for nothing. The influential difference of your life is only experienced as you live it boldly. Our focus needs to be so much on Christ that we can't help but live out the Great Commission. That's the mission of the church, to go into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news. But because what happens when people enter into that and they place their faith because they believe they get saved, and as they adhere their lives to scripture, they realize that they can't keep going the way they were going, that they're called to live differently, and as a result, what happens is they become salt and light. It's not that they become salt and light first. No, they become part of the body of Christ. The the gospel produces salt and light, not the other way around. If we focus on the Great Commission, if we focus on the gospel, if we focus on the new birth that Christ gives, allowing God to conform our lives to his, the result is that God produces a people who live like salt and light. And as the church collectively adheres their lives to the gospel, there is an influential difference from the world around us, which is the point of the law and the prophets of the Old Testament. It it wasn't just to throw a bunch of rules no, God gave these, the law to set the people apart. The prophets, their message was to remind people because they'd forgotten the law and they tried to make it about themselves. And the prophets are saying, we've got to go back to God's message. That the nation of Israel would be a witness to the world around them, not a secluded nation. So, so that's why in verses 17 through 20, Jesus kind of kind of gets this little shift in, in his message. He says, You gotta be salt, you gotta be light. And if you think that I'm trying to teach something different, understand I haven't come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to do anything different. I'm not setting up something different. There's nothing new here to see in that way. I'm not that kind of a renegade. I haven't come to abolish them, I've come to fulfill them. Everything that the law revealed was revealed through Moses is now found in Christ in its fullness. In the life of the Spirit. And the bottom line is that jesus isn't is is agreeing with and living according to the law and the prophets, but also as, as we get into the remainder of this sermon, you you start to read he, he doesn't just he doesn't tone it down. in fact, he ramps it up. he gives better clarification. he'll say over and over and over, "You've heard it said, but I say to you, and watch wait for it whenever he says, "I say to you," because." It's coming. Because it, you, Jesus is clarifying. You can't relax these commandments. When it says there shall be no other God before you. It means there shall be no other God before you. If, if it says do not covet. It doesn't. That's not a suggestion. They're the great commandments, not the great suggestions. And there will be consequences when we get it wrong. If we, if we misread, reinterpret, ignore, or deny, there will be consequences. Tim, Tim Keller, he's, he's a pastor and author, says it like this. When the Bible tells us something about how we should live, whether it be like sex, money, or power. It, it doesn't, it, it, well, it, it always does it like this. It says, God created us, and therefore God in his word is giving you directions for how you should live according to the design that he gave you. So, so it's not busy work. It's just not more to do. Therefore, God in his word is giving you the directions of how you should live. It's, it's like when you get a owner's manual from a, with a car. And most of us just leave that in the glove box, but, we, but it's to our detriment. If we pull it out and we start reading it and we find out, wait, you're supposed to do this every so many miles... It's not busy work. It's that that's the way the car was designed. That we would maintain it. That that way bad things don't happen later because of our neglect. When we violate those things, we hurt the car. And as we live our lives, when we ignore Scripture and we try to say well that was for back then God's Word doesn't change based on the memes and themes of our day God's Word is here now and forever and so when we live with scriptural integrity and we focus our lives on Christ in every aspect We not only live within the way that God has designed us, but as a result, we will live a life that has an influential difference to the surrounding world. It will be noticed... It will give you an opportunity to respond to the point of the difference that Christ makes. We aren't called to relax things or to cheapen the grace that God has bestowed upon us and extended, but we're called to live within it. You're to be meek. You're to hunger and thirst after righteousness. You're to be merciful, to be pure in heart. You're to be a peacemaker. And, and know that as a result that of, of living that way, of living that different style of life, you will be persecuted. You will be made fun of. You will be laughed. It's going to get uncomfortable. But better uncomfortable now than for an eternity. Don't give up because it gets hard. In our living out the gospel, we let God's holiness shine through. We let God's holiness act as a salt to a decaying world, trying to restore it to as he intended it. That's our calling, to live into that and to be blessed. When we live into God's promises, we will be blessed. When we try and make it on our own, it's like wandering around in the dark. It's going to hurt. God has called us to more. God has called us to himself. And every single step of the way, you you look throughout history, and when we start deviating from that plan is when society struggles the most. And I'm talking to myself just as much as I'm, I'm sharing with you. There are call, as followers of Christ, is simply to put our life at the foot of the cross. Each and every day. Each and every moment. And yeah, that means dying to myself, to my whims, my desires, my thoughts, my, my, my. Because when it's all about me and my selfishness, nothing will ever work out right. Heavenly Father, we are a, often a struggling people, trying to navigate the in-between, trying to navigate and wanting to understand more of you, but also, God, it's so much fun to be part of, of what's going on in our world. And so we, sometimes we feel torn. But God, you've not called us to be part of what the world has got going. You've called us to put our faith in you. To be in the world, but not of the world. To live out a difference because we've not putting our faith in ourselves but we're putting our faith in you. And as we put our faith in you, as we understand more and more of what you've done for us through dying on the cross and through the resurrection from the grave, that you've ascended into heaven and you are coming back to take us under your own, that God, we're called to live into that. That difficult decisions are made where I lay down my own priorities at the foot of your cross. That as a result, when I would have done this, I now do this. That I put the other person first that I don't indulge in these other things that never lead to you. That I stand up for those that can't stand up for themselves. And I adhere my life totally to you. And God, if I've not done that in any way, I ask for your forgiveness, your grace, and your strength to live differently. God, as a church, may we do exactly that. May we repent of our sins. May we receive your grace. And may we live differently. For you continually call us to more, and we give you thanks. In your precious and holy name we pray, amen. Go and be salt and light.